Welcome to Made for Profit, a podcast where we talk business in the shop and help you monetize as a maker. Each week we cover business topics to help you grow your full-time business or your side hustle. We'll also bring you interviews from a variety of people winning in their space to share valuable business insights and life lessons. I'm Brad Rodriguez, a full-time content creator running FixThisBuildThat.com, and my co-host John Malecki runs a full-time furniture company and his content site, JohnMalecki.com. We've been growing our successful businesses online, and we want to bring you into the conversation and help you grow along with us. Welcome to episode 90. Now we've got another great interview with a startup furniture maker today. Jason Hibbs has been running his woodworking business, Bourbon Moth, for the last four and a half years. He's got an extraordinary hustle, and he has built his business on building just about anything that the customer wants. He's also found a niche in social media, which has helped pick up new clients and grow new revenue streams. So Jason talks with us today about setting yourself apart and how to monetize things that you're already doing. Jason really dove into Instagram in the last 12 to 18 months, and with over 120,000 followers, he has exploded on the Instagram influencer scene with his amazing work and his comical additions of his own personality. Jason has taken what we try to emphasize here on this show and implemented it to explode his custom product business and really build up the Bourbon Moth brand. Been super cool and a ton of fun to watch. Absolutely. He's a he's a hilarious dude, and we'll talk more about that in just a minute. But before we get into it, we do want to thank our new members that joined the MFP Patron Tribe this week. We had Micah Grizel and Blair Chadwick. Thank you so much for joining uh, if you do want to support the show and get some awesome rewards, you can head over to patreon.com forward slash made for profit and check out some cool rewards like our after show. But without further ado, here's our interview with Jason Hibbs. All right, guys, welcome to another interview. We have a guy that we just got to meet in person, Jason Hibbs from Bourbon Moth. Jason, welcome to Made for Profit, buddy. Hey, guys, what's going on? You know, we're just ready to uh, drop some major knowledge bombs and have you, you know, let us know how you're such a successful, deep baritone, you know, opera singer. Mm, I'm excited to find this out as well. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, dude, like we, we, uh, yeah, we just got to meet, right? Uh, so, actually, we're recording this just a few days after WorkbenchCon, and uh, we just got a chance to meet in person, which was fantastic. So, it's great to to finally shake your hand and. Uh, Get to see your your nice goofy personality in person, which is just as outrageous as it is on Instagram. So <laughs> try not to disappoint, man. You don't. What, you I, don't. what I found incredible was that after people, you know, a lot of people were asking who you were because you know you're famous, but they were referring to you as the uh, pizza <laughs> table saw <laughs> guy, and I was dying because I thought it was hilarious. Because who to thunk, right? Of all of the amazing things that you've done in your life, you know, that's the one that stuck. Yeah, man. That's funny. I was talking to some people about that, and I was like, if this is the most successful video I ever put out, I'm just going to kick myself. I'm going to be the pizza guy forever. Yes. <laughs> and I mean, as is life. Now, hopefully you could pick up, you know, one of those Papa John's or Pizza Hut. Yeah, you get that's nice I got to get that sponsorship going. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Well, so Jason does, Jason does some really funny uh, videos on his Instagram channel, uh, but uh, those are only second to his awesome builds and and the way he runs his product business. So, Jason, uh, why don't you just give us the the quick rundown on on your channel for those who might not be familiar with you and what you do? 
So I started Bourbon Moth about four, four and a half years ago, and it was actually born out of uh, another small handmade business that my wife and I started, which is a textile screen printing company. And so we were kind of in the handmade world. We were online selling through various websites like Etsy and things like that. And that was kind of her gig. I kind of helped her get that off the ground, but I wanted to do a little bit, something more with my hands. And we had just bought a house, didn't have any furniture. I thought, man, you know, I've always been kind of a do-it-yourselfer, so I wanted to try and build our own furniture. Bought some tools, started building furniture, and then the snowball effect happened, which I'm sure so many woodworkers out there are familiar with, where you build something for yourself, and then your mom and your auntie come over, and they're like, dang, that is a nice coffee table made out of Home Depot pine. I want one of those. (laughs) Oh, yeah. So you, you start making stuff for other people, and then... You start learning what works and what doesn't work. And then before you know it, you're getting requests. And for me, at least, um, I had a little bit of a business on my hands. So made the decision after about six months of doing small stuff to basically quit my wife's business, um, got her taken care of with some employees. And then I launched in full time doing bourbon moth and we do custom furniture and that's our game. Haven't looked back since. Yeah, I mean, that is a very, I, I feel like I've heard that story before, Brad. Where, where, could, where could that have come from? <laughs> yeah, I, no, I mean, v- very similar to myself. I picked up woodworking as kind of a hobby when I was transitioning out of football. Um, and then it just started becoming inquiry after inquiry on on Facebook mostly. And I was doing the same thing. I was I was slapping together some pine I bought at Home Depot and making a couple things here and there. And that kind of rolled over into wanting to try and work with metal and Next thing you know, I'm 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 screaming at a camera and selling myself to brands for a living. But in that, you know, you can uh, you can really see how uh, you've way evolved from home store furniture type uh, projects and stuff into doing some really like high end large scale products as well as some really quality stuff, dude. Um, why don't you touch a bit on like how you uh, how you saw that opportunity on say Etsy or whatever it might have been, and then grew immediately out of you know, maybe selling um, the cheaper style furniture to doing the the high-end custom stuff you do now. Yeah, so I feel like everybody's got to have a starting point, right? And that's why, I mean, you hear a lot of people hating on, not to drop any names, but I heard this guy, John Malecki, hating on pocket holes and things mm-hmm. like that. That dude um, is, he is gorgeous. Sorry. Yeah, I'm a jerk. Oh, yeah, gorgeous. But I mean, everybody's got to start somewhere. And of course, I started somewhere. Fortunately for me, uh, where I started and where I made a lot of mistakes were in my own home. And so we needed a lot of furniture for the house. So I started building stuff. And so I actually still have the first coffee table I ever built sitting Mm -hmm. in my living room. And it is ugly. Um, It's just, it's not built well. But what I did is I stuck that in my house with green Home Depot lumber and I got to watch it slowly shrink and pull apart and the seams crack and I saw that and I thought, okay, what's going on here? So I was able to research and figure out, you know, oh, there's this thing called wood movement and shrinkage and moisture content. <laughs> so I, was, I know, mind blowing, right? So I was able to, <laughs> to learn from my own mistakes really before I, I jumped into the custom world and put other things into other people's house. But, but yeah, we have to start somewhere. And I started small and it's, it's been a journey. But I tell you what, I am... I'm four years deep in this, but I'm still very much a, a novice woodworker. I'm learning a lot every day and just trying to keep up with the crowd, man. Yeah. How did that transition go when you when you stopped or when you took on that first kind of paid 
right? Because like for friends and family, you know, and I don't know, mm -hmm. you know, whether you're doing it just for cost or, or whatever, but like, uh, you know, what did that look like? Because I know that's something that a lot of our listeners struggle with and a lot trying to get in the custom game is like, is, is pricing. We get asked about pricing all the time. Like, what did that look for like for you? Like when, you know, were you taking that bath where you were like, oh, geez, like, you know, trying to keep up with like the Etsy prices or, or the prices on Facebook marketplace, they're just so ridiculously low. Yeah. So I did something a little unique. Um, I don't honestly know how I thought of it because it was a really good idea and I don't have a lot of those. Um, <laughs> but I had been doing small stuff for a long time, which is another place everybody starts, you know, little wall hangings and beer holders and things like that, cutting boards. And I really wanted to get into furniture. But the problem with getting into furniture is when you go to somebody and they say, okay, I want this piece of furniture. First question they're going to ask is, all right, let me see some of your other work. Well, I didn't really have any other work and the work I did have in my house, I didn't want to show them because it wasn't good. So I struggled with this idea of, all right, I need a portfolio of furniture. I haven't built any furniture. So step one is let's build a portfolio. Well, how do you do that when nobody wants you to build furniture because you don't have a history of doing it? So I developed this program. I called it custom build for cost. And what I did was I basically threw it up on social media that I was trying to build a portfolio. I put a link on my website where people could go on and they could submit their dream piece of furniture, like the thing they've always wanted, but just couldn't afford. And basically how I advertised it was I was going to go through this entire list of people that submitted and I was going to pick five winners, pieces that I just really wanted to build. And I was going to build them their dream piece of furniture at cost to them, just materials. And so what that allowed was people that maybe wouldn't normally take a chance on having like a newbie build their furniture were willing to do it because the price was so stinking low. And so I took a little bit of a bath there at first. I picked four or five pieces of furniture. I picked like a desk and a coffee table and a dining table and a bathroom vanity. So I kind of had a variety of different things. And I just worked my butt off to try and build really nice pieces of furniture. I went really slow. And then when I was done with each piece, I hired a professional photographer to come in and, and shoot each one. So I had really quality pictures. And what that left me with was now I have a portfolio that I can actually go to clients and say, here's some stuff I've done and build off of that. And it didn't really cost me any money except for the photographer because I had these other people paying the material costs. So I kind of was able to cut my teeth doing that for the first couple months and it really launched my business. Yeah. How do you, how much value would you actually put on hiring that professional photographer? Cause that's something that I know a lot of our listeners are always struggling with is, you know, like, do I throw up a portfolio with my cell phone shots or should I go get a pro? Go get a pro hands down. If you're not an on the side professional photographer and you want to be a professional woodworker, put your time and attention into being a professional woodworker and go hire someone who's put their time and attention into being a professional photographer. I mean, if you're good at it, sure, you could try. But for me, I get way better results getting those professional photos than I would any other way. So, And, I th and I've noticed that throughout your business, right? I mean, you're, there's some projects that you just build, right? You don't do uh, the finishing aspect. Um, you know, there's mm -hmm. some projects where you do everything top to bottom. But I feel like as, you know, from the outside, looking at Bourbon Moth's growth, uh, that's something you're always keeping in mind, right? Like, am I the person that is most qualified to, to finish or do this? Or should I go yeah, to pro, right? And so how valuable do you think that idea or concept's been since it seems like the beginning for you? Oh, it's been huge. I mean, I'm literally a one-man shop. It's me alone in my shop doing everything. 
which means I only have a certain amount of time to to do things. So, I mean, if I'm going to try and build and shoot photo and market and do SEO and finish, I just, I'm going to go crazy. I'm not going to see my family. So if there is any way that you can outsource certain parts of your business, it's only going to benefit you. It's going to be a little money, but in my case, it is paid for itself hands down time and time again. Yeah, it's obviously like a common habit of people within the uh, let's make something ourselves community to want to do everything yourselves, right? And that's mm-hmm, Superman sure. kind of mindset. And, and Brad and I have both fallen victim to that for a long time. And I think what that can do is really strangle your growth. Like I love how you were just touching on if you want to become a professional, focus your time on becoming a professional, right? Don't yeah, yeah. don't worry about building up the other things. Like go hire people for that. And I see businesses outside of the DIY community that do that exact thing that grows so much faster and scale wise, mm-hmm. right? And it's I think it's because we're not inundated with these like mindset of I could do this myself. I do everything else myself. Why can't I do this myself? So, um, you know, like your website and all of the aspects going into supplement bourbon moth, like were those things that you immediately saw you needed to offload or was, uh, or were those the kind of aspects that you dove into immediately thinking you could do it because why not? I can do everything. Yeah, no, I definitely started thinking I could do everything. I mean, everybody has to have an origin and that's where I started thinking like, I'm going to do it yourself or I'm going to do it all. Um, but you end up with these weird bottlenecks in your business. Like, for example, I have a big open shop, and so I build a piece of furniture, and then I got to finish it. Well, you know with finishing that dust is a huge issue. So if I'm going to switch to finishing a piece now, I got to basically shut down my shop to finish that piece. Well, you spray some finish on, then you got to wait a while, let it sit. So that's just a slow down bottleneck where I can't be doing anything else while that piece is being finished. Now, if I can finish a piece and then send that off to somebody else and have them finish it, Well, then I got my shop open again and I can immediately be building something. So it's all about finding those bottlenecks in your business where things slow down because you're trying to do everything and offloading some of that stuff to make yourself available to really do what you're good at. And for me, slapping furniture together is what I'm good at. So if I can focus on that and have somebody else focus on, you know, making it look good, then that's a win for sure. Yeah. So when when you do that, Jason, do you find that... um how do you find like the return on that as far as the price? So I had two things, two questions really like, how do you build that into your price from like, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the, the cost basis? And so are you taking the hit on margin or are you passing that through as a higher rate to the customer versus, you know, just your hourly rate versus what you would have and, uh, vice versa. Do you then, if you're making less margin on it, do you see it you know, that you're making more money in the long run because you can finish another piece and another piece. And by the time you're at the end of the month, You've done, you know, five pieces instead of four or or whatever the number is. Yeah. So that's definitely what helps with the margins is you're building faster so you can afford to spend a little bit more on finishing because you're getting more pieces out the door in a month. But also, whenever I have to increase, whenever I have to spend money to, you know, outsource a service, I increase costs because in my mind, I'm outsourcing that finishing from somebody who's kind of a novice in the finishing world, which is me, to a professional. And so that quality is going to increase. And so I can pass that quality on to my customer in the form of raising the price. And I mean, I have yet to, to find a customer that's like, no, I don't, don't really want to pay more for a, for a better finish. I mean, as you increase your prices, your clientele also kind of increases because hopefully you're increasing your prices when your quality increase, increases. So 
Right. And that is the, uh, like, that is the foremost aspect. Like, that's the first thing that somebody notices, right? I mean, when they get up on it, because, you know, from a distance, you notice the design. But as soon as you get on top of a piece of furniture where, you know, like you're right next to it, what's the first thing everybody does? They run their hand over it, right? Yeah, they touch it. Like, like, yeah. And like whether, and if, if if they're hitting those dust nibs versus like this just crystal, you know, pre-cat lacquer finish or whatever that somebody's putting on there. Like that's a that's a huge difference to both the the finger because the hand the hand can pick up so much like the minute mm-hmm. difference between a really nice finish and something that's got a bunch of orange peel like I I, mean, I know because mine are the latter not the former uh, and yeah. <laughs> and so yeah I've never sent something off I've never had something professionally finished but I've seen plenty and touched plenty that I'm like okay wow yeah this this is this is what a pro mm-hmm. does not not what I do in my shop with you know dust flying everywhere. Yeah, definitely. definitely. And so how much value do you think that has added to the growth and development of your your brand itself being that, you know, you are offering professional quality construction as well as professional grade finishing? Because I think a lot of us get in the mindset that that has to be integrated, right? Or my projects will not be affordable. And and I I subcontract tons of stuff and I don't necessarily go and tell my uh, end client like, hey, I'm going to be subcontracting subcontracting this uh, part of your project. It's more like that's integrated into my process and pricing and it increases my workflow. And when I'm able to deliver something that's of high quality, the the end consumer doesn't care, right? They're just, they just want the best quality thing possible. And it's helped me grow and get better. You you feel like you've experienced the same thing by having that mindset of, you know, this, this person's better than me. I'm going to bring them on the team, you know, and I'm going to bring you the best quality project possible. Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, when you look at how I break down my prices, basically what I do is I figure out my material cost. I figure out any outsourcing labor costs. I throw that in there. I guesstimate the amount of time it's going to take me to build the piece, and I multiply that by my hourly shop rate. And so looking at my breakdown, my money comes from my hourly shop rate. The rest of it is just cost on top of that. And so I'm not going to make any less money, really, outsourcing that stuff because I can do a lot more projects in a month. I mean, it's it just makes so much sense to go that route. And yeah, you're going to have these bottlenecks where your business isn't going to grow if you're trying to do everything yourself because you just can't do it all and you can't do a good job at it all at least. So are you using markup or margin after you're putting that price uh, you know, concept together uh, to pay for your overhead or is that coming out of your hourly rate? No, so my hourly rate's completely separate. So I figure my costs, I figure my, you know, materials, all that stuff, and then I just add that to whatever my hourly rate is. So my hourly rate's my hourly rate. I get that 100% no matter what. Gotcha. And, and then on top yeah. of that, you add whatever for the overhead and the 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 margin or or markup to the total cost. To the total, and then I add 15% because it always costs more than we think it's going to cost. So you got to get yeah. yourself covered. Gotcha. Which is, yeah. And, and a lot of people like, so some people will add that down below, right? So either way you can add it at the top or you can be like, here's what the materials are plus 15% and then they do margin on top. So yeah, it's, it's interesting to hear how, how different people that we talk to do the pricing structure and there's no one way to do it. So I love that, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, Hey, yeah, then I have this top adder. Well, somebody else might be doing it down below. And we have a, a, a lot of guys and gals who are like, I add every single screw, you know, it's like there, yeah, there's, yeah. there's nothing left to chance. And it's like, you know, adding everything up and, and well, and like I will that. tell you, I will tell you this. 
I, I say that I have that formula and I still use that formula, but you also get to a point in your business where you know the inherent cost of a table, you know the cost of a built-in, you know the cost of a coffee table. And so you get pretty darn good about just coming up with a price and knowing you're going to be covered on all sides and knowing that your customers can be okay with paying that price. I mean, you get to a comfortable place where that works. Yeah, I think, and that, I think that's actually something I think uh, Sean Van Dyke was talking to us about is like, yeah, when somebody asks you for a quote, you know, there, there's a difference between being able to give them a price and knowing your business so much that you can do that on the fly almost mm-hmm. versus like, because I think there's some value there too, is that if you meet somebody on the street, again, more value in just cutting down the communications. Because if yeah. you meet someone, you say, oh, just email me, right? Then all of a sudden they email you and it's a back and forth versus, you know, you meet somebody and they say, hey, I'm, I'm looking for a dining table. And you're like, cool, great. Like, well, what do you think about? Oh, you know, walnut, trestle table. Well, what kind of size? Great. Yeah, that'll, you know, that'll be about 5,000 bucks. Like whatever that number is, like, immediately they're like, whoa, that's not going to be 500 bucks. And like, no, this is custom furniture, right? And so like you can, knowing your pricing structure and knowing that so well, I'm sure just cuts down on a ton of back and forth and a ton of of just communication that you don't need to have. If you're like, well, let me go back and do that calculation. Then I'll get back to you. It just extends the whole process. Yeah, I learned very early on that get that price in front of the customer as soon as possible. Because I remember back in the beginning, I would have emails back and forth with some customers and it's like, seriously, like 50 emails back and forth deciding on color and size and style and this and that. And then you finally hit them with a price only to hear them say, oh yeah, that's way out of my budget. Well, if I would have been able to get you that price at the beginning, you could have literally saved me hours of back and forth typing and figuring stuff out that now is going to go nowhere. So yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely love that because that, that is so valuable uh, because it's the same way with anything, with sponsors for me, I've started to do that up front. Be like, what's your budget? Like, what, what are you mm-hmm. looking for? Like, if if you're just looking to, to send product and I'm thinking that I want, you know, a thousand bucks in my head or whatever that gap is, and like, you're not even considering paying me money, then like, we can just go ahead and stop having this conversation. Yeah, versus absolutely. I've done the same thing. I mean, I have email trails of 30 deep and then it's like, oh, we, we you know, we can't have you dedicate your channel and put an overlay on on your logo and for, for $87, like that's not going to work. Yeah, no, yeah. no, that's not. <laughs> and I think another aspect of that, uh, that that clarity in the communication channel up front is that even if a client does come to you with a budget up front, you can either build to their budget or put them in a, push them in another direction. And that's all time saving, right? You know, if you're mm-hmm. if you have affordable product within what they're doing, that's why you want to be crystal clear up front. And, and I and I tell people this all the time uh, on the show or in coaching. Uh, if you're not getting a budget up front, you're losing money. Uh, just because of all of that communication, um, and then you know, I push people to a um, to a uh, an inquiry form in which I have all the information I need in order to give you a price immediately. Um, and I have a terrible memory, so I don't like doing that off the cuff pricing. But I, but I, just like you said, I know what it costs to make a dining table out of you know the three materials I use the most. You should definitely have at least that much honed in. When it comes to making custom furniture, and especially on high level, right? If you're moving yeah. moving a lot of stuff, you should know your numbers. And Sean talked about that in his show too. Um, so, you know, kind of segueing and speaking about moving a lot of stuff, what I've noticed lately in your content is a lot of uh, a lot of carcass work, right? And a lot of um, like, like real interesting, I would say, uh, cabinetry and built-ins. I know you've done a lot of uh, like walnut credenza or like, excuse me, hardwood type credenza looking uh, furniture in the past um, with drawers and doors and stuff. And, and and now I've seen 
I've seen built-ins on scales I didn't know humanly possible. <laughs> um, and it, and it's been it's been extremely admirable, right, to watch this process. And if you guys aren't following Jason, um, definitely want to check him out on Instagram at Bourbon Moth, and we will have links in the show note description um, for you guys at madeforprofit.com forward slash episode 90. But um, getting back on topic, you know, touch a little bit on how you came in, into that, because I know most of us as we get started are not building cabinetry first. It's it's coffee tables, dining tables, mostly. Yeah, like yeah. Box store pine. <laughs> so I, I view um, I view woodworking. There's two roads you can walk down. You can either walk down the road where you say, okay, I want to develop a product line, and this is what I'm going to stick to, and these are my products I have to offer, and if you like them, buy them. If you don't, then move on to the next person. Mm. Or you can say, I am a you know, commission-based woodworking shop. I'm, I'm custom and we will do whatever the customer wants. And so that's kind of the, the road that I ended up walking down. I don't have a product line. So it's, it's just as exciting for me to see where the business is going to go as it is for my followers. I don't know from month to month, you know, well, I do because I'm booked out a few months, but from year to year, like what things I'm going to be building, it's completely customer driven. And so I'll go through these like big valleys where I'm just doing coffee table after coffee table to these huge peaks where I'm doing built-in after built-in. And it's funny because I'll do something for a while and then other people jump on and be like, oh man, that's that's awesome. I want that too. And so I'll just do a ton of tables or a ton of built-ins. And then somebody else will request something completely random like a walnut, you know, mid-century hutch. And I'll do that. And then I got six walnut hutches because people want those and it's kind of all over the place but honestly that's the way i like it i'm a pretty add guy so i can't just do the same thing over and over and over again and that's why i love commission stuff i the thought of having my own furniture line and building the same piece day in and day out just would drive me insane do you think yeah. that's a proponent of like what kind of content you're putting out there sorry brad to cut you off but i mean I've, I've talked about that on the show and i know you and i talked about that that in person uh, at WorkbenchCon, like you think what you're putting out there is what's moving the most for you um, on, with, with your content and stuff? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I get a lot of business from Instagram. And so, yeah, when I put stuff out there, people contact me and say, hey, I want that. But I also get a lot of business from interior designers. I work really closely with some awesome interior designers. And so they always have their ear kind of to the the newest and latest trend, which is really cool because I get to try new stuff and they kind of push me in a, a certain direction. But I think it works hand in hand because those designers know what's popular. They have me build it. I push that out to Instagram and the people are like, oh, yeah, that is sweet. And then they buy it. So kind of this vicious cyclone of, of building. So. Have, you ever, have you ever had that work negatively where you're like, <laughs> where you put out a project that you're just happen to be working on because you think you need to get some content out there and then people started ordering something you never want to build again? Yeah, so <laughs> I, I probably only post two thirds of the stuff I'm actually working on at any given time because there's definitely those projects where I'm like, I never want to make this again. So I'm not even I'm not even going to put it out there and give people the option. But sometimes you just don't have a choice because content is another huge side of my business, right? And so if I'm working on a project for a week and a half and I decide I don't want to post this, I'll have this week and a half gap where I don't have any content to mm -hmm. post. So either I'm going to do a bunch of throwbacks to old stuff or I'm just going to throw it out there and then nicely say no when somebody wants to order it again. Yeah, so as you've been going and, and putting this content together with your furniture business like you said uh we talked about it uh, before the show there that you've been on instagram pretty much the whole time that your business has been on um you know when did that switch flip as far as starting to really get it as a a viable 
uh, source of new projects and then kind of turning that into a content game, right? Where it's like, mm -hmm. hey, now this is something where I can start working with brands because they, you know, see value in the size of my audience. Like, how, you know, kind of walk us a little bit through that progression of how you've, your life on Instagram and how it's become, you know, this marketing and content thing together. Yeah, yeah. So I remember very clearly when I first started on Instagram, it was strictly a woodworking business page. I put just beauty shots of all my stuff. That was it. No process shots. And I just hovered right around maybe 800 to 1200 followers. It wasn't huge at the time. I thought like, oh, I'm so amazing. I got 1200 followers, you know, because my personal <laughs> account has like, I got like four friends, right? So <laughs> I, I hovered right around there, but I was following people like, you know, you and John and a bunch of other people on Instagram. And I saw these huge followings and I never dreamed I would be anywhere close to that, you know? And then one day I took a picture of a process shot and I got a bunch of likes and I thought, oh, maybe, you know, if I incorporate the process of building something, people will like that. And so that bumped me up to about, I don't know, 10, 20,000. And I just kind of got stuck there, including process, finished things. And I kind of got burnt out on Instagram. I was just really hitting my head against the wall. I wasn't making any headway. And I remember one night I had to go out to the shop to like do some stuff. I'd just been posting serious business things on Instagram and I kind of snapped and I was like, you know what? I'm a goofy, crazy guy. I'm just going to throw something completely off the wall and random out on Instagram. And so I grabbed one of my son's lightsaber toys and I threw up this just stupid video of me doing a tool review, but it was the lightsaber and I like try and cut this piece of maple and it was just so dumb <laughs> and goofy and people like, freaked out over it. I mean, I got more comments and likes and shares than I'd ever gotten on a post. And all of a sudden I realized like, you know, that's the first time I have ever posted myself on my Instagram. And so from that point on, I started weaving into my regular posts, like who I am and goofiness and craziness. I started jumping on my stories and just being random and wacky. And that doesn't necessarily work for everyone. I've definitely seen Instagram pages where you have just way too much personal stuff and it kind of overshadows what you're trying to put out there. But I figured out a way to weave it in in an appropriate amount that people just really dug it. And I, that's when I started to see a climb in my Instagram. And I started to go from 20 to, to 40 to 50. And I started getting companies, you know, interested in working with me. And yeah, now I'm just over 100,000. And I really owe it all to to showing who I am and bringing people into that story. I mean, that's, that's really what's launched it for me. Yeah, that is so huge. And, and it's, it's a, it, you're right on. It's a delicate thing, right? In that some, I think it is highly, uh, it is highly specific to, to an individual's uh, person, own personality and, and how it comes across. Because I think the cool thing for you is like, you know, like you could, you could do your own channel just on like that kind of comedic piece. And like, I think that, you know, it's it, but at the same time, you're doing it within the confines of a wood shop. So you're, you know, like, you know, cutting the pizza and, and pouring maple syrup for a river pour. Like you're, you know, you're associating these funny things in the woodworking community where it's like, oh yeah, that, that's hilarious. Like, you know, doing all these, these comedy sketches, if you will, like in the confines of like, I'm just like this funny woodworker dude, but I also make this professional line of, of furniture. So it it's not, it's still within the realm versus like, you know, you're not just up there doing stand up, right? Like 
hey, what, yeah, yeah. what's the deal with rental cars, you know? Like, <laughs> you can't just take the reservation. <laughs> You've got to yeah, hold what's, it. Yeah, <laughs> what's funny is when those two worlds collide, I was delivering a table the other day, and I like dropped it off this super nice white oak table, pretty high-end client, and I take it into their dining room, and they look at me, and I thought they were going to say something about the table, and they're like, so... How'd you get that maple syrup out of your beard? <laughs> and so there is kind of that weird crossover. But what I've learned is like half the clients I get through Instagram, especially one of the things they get really excited about is actually watching the process of me build their piece of furniture. Like they get to watch their entire piece be built. And they like that it's built by this crazy, goofy guy that like people really connect with. And I mean, it, it's worked for me. So. I can't argue with it. Well, that's a piece of advice I'm constantly giving product uh, or, or people trying to build a woodworking sales Instagram page is like you don't have to fake it or go and try and force content around yourself personally. Just give the audience an opportunity to glimpse what's going on behind the scenes. You kind of break down that barrier or mystery of like, is this person actually working on my stuff or like what's happening? Like kind mm -hmm. of vibe, especially with clients. And, and it really brings in uh, a new type of audience. And what I find with custom um, furniture makers in the use of Instagram is that they're more weary to bring on friends, quote unquote, or potential other woodworkers as an audience because they just want to sell furniture, right? But how awesome is it to be able to showcase a piece of your furniture with the final client in their home to tens of thousands of people on your Instagram? Yeah, yeah. And like, I've always found that that's a huge value add to my to my end clients because they're like, yeah, I think it would be awesome to be featured on John Malecki's page and like and and that's something that I've now been able to full circle feature back into it and I think it plays on what you were saying was like showing the client what's happening with their project as well as feeling a part of the full story instead of just making it a transaction. So that was a great like you know piece of advice there without per se you know, forcing it down someone's throat is that you're able, if you're able to bring an individual in a, in a sales funnel on a journey and mm -hmm. be able to give them the, you know, entire uh, process of what's happening and then deliver over the top on the end, uh, whether it's a table delivery or end product, you're going to always be able to add value to that experience. And that's where you're going to get a ton of referrals. You're going to get repeat customers. You're going to get high-end designers that are like, I had such a good experience on XYZ projects that I want to use you on this. Um, and that's a massive value to an Instagrammer like yourself who's selling custom work um, in, 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 the, in the, I guess, the grand scheme of things that a lot of people don't see. Like, I highly doubt you mm -hmm. anticipated that as you grew your audience. You, you know, I know yeah, I didn't. No, not at all. And, yeah. uh, and so I'm always advocating to product um, product makers uh, and individuals listening to the show to, you know, grow your audience for the sake of what you want it to be, right? Like you started incorporating the, the goofiness and a little bit of your life and what's going on outside because that's what you wanted, right? You weren't trying mm -hmm. to just mold an Instagram for the audience itself. I mean, to be completely honest, I did it because I was just like, F it, I'm just going to be me. And I, I didn't know what the outcome was going to be. It just happened to work out. <laughs> Yeah, but, but it's also putting yourself out there, right? So you said it, you know, you're like, hey, I, I want to put myself out there. And I think that's, and some of that will resonate and some of it won't. I mean, I, I think that's the downside to some of it is that some people are going to do that. And mm -hmm. then the response is not going to be good, right? And, yeah. and that's, Well, here's the, here's the funny thing about the, like the, the goofy, funny videos. Um, from a 
content standpoint, those ones never do great. I mean, I get a decent amount of views, but those are never my videos that get like crazy amounts of views. But those are the videos that have my biggest, what I call follower retention. Like you get followers for the woodworking, but a lot of them are staying because of who you are, because they get to know you, they get to know your your life and they want to follow along in that story. So it's great to get followers because of all the pretty pictures, but if you want to keep those followers long-term, you got to show them something a little more real. Yeah, I love that. And and some people do it in the stories. Some people do it in the main feed. Uh, you know, I, I think there's so many different ways to do it. Um, as you've been doing, so hit, hit a little bit more like how, as your Instagram account grew and you talked about sponsors reaching out, you mm-hmm. know, how, how did that look for you? How did that work for you as a product maker? You know, like, you're like, okay, cool. Like I, you know, how I, I'm not a content creator. I'm not going to be doing reviews. You know, how do those conversations first start going? Was it starting with free tools? And then you're like, well, wow, you know, did it turn into, to monetary? How's that transition been? Yeah. Yeah. So I remember the first time I reached out to a, um, a brand. I did it because everybody else was doing it. <laughs> I uh, mean, you, you, not you, you wanted people. to be just like Brad, because that's why I did. It. <laughs> yeah. Well, no. I mean, it really it was. I wanted to be like Brad and everybody else that was doing like giveaways and stuff. I remember I hit twenty thousand, and I thought, like, I mean, I think this is a big number, so I'm going to reach out to Rigid and see if they'll, you know, sponsor something for a giveaway because that's what you do, right? Everybody does giveaways when you hit benchmarks. So I reached out to Rigid, and they're like, "Yeah, we want to give you a combo kit." And I was that was the first time I was like dang, somebody like it's company wrote back and they want to do this. So I did that. And then when I hit 30,000, I was like, I'm going to reach out to Grizzly and see if they want to do something, you know? So I reached out to Grizzly and they're like, no, sorry. And I was like, are you sure? And they're like, let us know when you hit 40,000. And I just happened to have an extremely good two weeks and I hit 40,000 at two weeks, which was just, (laughs) it was just crazy. And so I reached back out to him and I was like, well, I hit 40,000 and they were kind of like, wait, what really? Mm-hmm. Um, and so that kind of started my relationship with Grizzly and they gave me a bandsaw to do my 40 K giveaway. And that was a really good giveaway. And then if you are trying to work with sponsors and you're just sending DMS, um, one thing that has been huge for me is trying to get face to face with people. Um, I had that little relationship with Grizzly and they're about six and a half hours away which isn't close, but I thought, you know, I'm just going to hop in my truck. I'm going to drive to their headquarters and I'm going to meet these people face to face. And so I drove six and a half hours. I met with the CEO of Grizzly and said, Hey, this is who I am. This is what I'm about. I'd love to work with you guys. And there was something special about making that personal connection that they're like, yeah, like we want to partner with you. And so Grizzly has been my sponsor since then. And it's, it's been awesome. I mean, I really appreciate that company and everything they've done for me. Yeah, yeah. that is so huge. We just got through, well, we just recorded it, but uh, it'll have come out a few weeks ago, uh, talking about WorkbenchCon and talking about one of those things that is uh, an intangible at WorkbenchCon is is meeting sponsors and not just DMing them, but going and shaking their hand mm-hmm. or giving them a yeah. hug or and being like, hey, like, I'm Brad. Oh, hey, I'm I'm Joe. Like, it's great to meet you. And like, now you've got this connection. And then if it's not only that connection, but if it's also you get a chance to go, you know, grab a, a lunch or a dinner or a beer or whatever with them. Like then, you know, we talked about the the bond of relationships is is kind of tied through experiences. And that's just like that that face-to-face experience where you can go back on that and like it's not just somebody sending you emails anymore. And like that that is such a savage move, dude. Just jumping in your truck and be like, I'm going six and a half hours to go shake somebody's hand. Like that is 
like that is above and beyond. Like most people would not do that. And, and absolutely in my mind, like that's a game changer. Like that's one of those things. That's how you segment yourself. That's how you set yourself apart. Mm -hmm. And I guarantee you that they had plenty of people DMing them at the same time that were either right around you or above you. And they were like, holy smokes. One thing that, that incredible growth and the two, like this dude just showed up like in, they're probably like, so you local? You're like, no, dude, I just drove six and a half hours. And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> really? <laughs> Wait, <laughs> like, what? <laughs> yeah. Like you, that is that that's making an impression, right? And, yeah. And well, I, I can tell that. you, I mean, I've done takeovers for Grizzly's Instagram page. And so I've had control of their Instagram for a week. And I can tell you the amount of DMs that a company like that gets on a day-to-day basis from people saying, hey, I want to work together. I want to, I want to be sponsored by you. It's, it's mind-blowing. Like, and it, it amazes me that I even am sponsored by them because it's crazy how many people ask. And so if you're not doing something to set yourself apart from those literally hundreds of DMs that are pouring in, you're not even going to be looked at, let alone taken seriously. And so, yeah, face-to-face is huge. And the other thing I tell people is you got to come with a plan of action. Don't just come to a company and say, hey, I want you to sponsor me. Come to a company and say, hey, I have this amazing idea for how I can better your visibility online through doing A, B, and C. What do you guys think? I mean, people like to know that you put some thought into it and you got a plan about what you're going to do. And that's a piece of advice Brad and I are trying to give all the time. I mean, you came in with an immediate value add. You weren't just looking for an ask. You're like, look, I will I will drive my face to your actual mm-hmm. store and show you that I'm a real human being that wants to be working together. And I think in a saturated market, like you were saying, with everyone working with brands, you've, you have to be thinking like that. You have to be trying to, what I call, you know, jump out of the jar and kind of, you know, go outside the box to do these um, value adds for these brands, especially nowadays with with so many brands coming into the maker community, as well as so many makers working with brands. Um, so that killer piece of advice there. And I've actually thoroughly uh, enjoyed your work with Grizzly because I find it hilarious. You know, you're always trying, you have we brought the, the Grizzly bear into the shop or even just a bear to dance around and like hang out. Yeah, yeah. And even those like, so, so I'm always, uh, you know, trying to think for brands how I can add, um, subtle value to brand recognition, right? That's not necessarily like, check out this ABCD one, two, three, four SKU model XYZ that you can buy for this price at this link. It's not, it's like, nah, this brand's willing to have fun. They work with creators like, and you know, make it a cool, fun uh, kind of situation. And when you're approaching it with that mindset from the get go, I know you're going to get much more uh, one, much more brands that want to work with you, but two, much more valuable relationships with those brands. Cause it's not yeah, transactional. Well- Look at the, look at the, go back to the pizza video, for example, that had no mention of any brand in it whatsoever. Right. But that video was kind of making fun of a lot of the woodpeckers videos you see. Now woodpeckers is one of my sponsors. And I got to tell you, I was a little nervous making that video that they're going to be like, what the heck, man, you're kind of making fun of these other videos with our squares. But if you look (laughs) at the, if you look at the 400 plus comments that have been on that video, I'd say 80% of them are like, oh, is this Woodpecker's new tool? Oh, yeah, Woodpecker, you know, one-time tool. Well, that's advertisement for Woodpecker right there. People are scrolling through and they're like, oh, what's this Woodpecker stuff? And they're clicking on that. So it's that overt, (laughs) you know, kind of advertisement that actually a lot of the brands I work with have really appreciated because it's not so in your face. Hey, buy this thing. Here's a coupon code. Right. That's the type of thing where you can just incorporate that into your style. And and even on that 
where you've got this little comedy arm, right? Where uh, it's it's obviously going to be in you know the background of your shop. You're you're running boards through the tools. You're measuring marking mm-hmm. with the tools, but then you know making it more of a feature of of something that you know is more personable and you know is going to get a lot of engagement. Uh, even though it might not get a ton of views, it's going to like you said, it, you, those probably have way more comments than your other stuff. Even though they yeah. might not have as yeah. many views because those are your the people who are really invested in you. But like as you as you went through there and you you know it sounds like you're definitely working the hustle and going on the offensive. You know, how is that translated now as far as brands coming to you? And is that, you know, how do you work that into being a full-time furniture producer? Yeah, so I've definitely learned the hard way that you have to be careful about what agreements you make with working with brands. At the beginning, I was just like, man, if a brand wants to work with me, I'm willing to do whatever they want, you know? But some brands want to work with you in the way of like, okay, you're required to do this many posts a week or, you know, this many story mentions a week. And when you're trying to do a full-time furniture job, that can become extremely stressful very quickly to try and keep up with all those different balls. And if you're working with multiple brands, now you're talking about like, you got four brands you're working with and all of them want a required amount of posts a week and you're building on the side. I mean, it just becomes insane. And so what I try and go for is more of a product placement sponsorship where I basically work with brands and I say, hey, when I use, you know, measuring stuff, I'm always going to use Woodpecker. And so that's the agreement we have. And like, okay, we'll, we'll work for this much a month. You know, it's not, I try and stay away from the strict, like you have to do A, B, C, D, E, or we're not going to pay you because I just, I can't keep all those balls in the air. It's really hard for me. Yeah. And it, that, that's the, I mean, that is the main struggle as a content creator, right? It's like, well, that uh, was my biggest. Remember when I, that's why I stopped yeah, doing, doing it. And that's, yeah, yeah. And be, and as it comes together. So like, as you, as you look at this, uh, you know, where, like, where does your passion lie? Like as, as you see bourbon moth and you see what you're doing now, uh, does this, does the content side, uh, is it more intriguing to you? Is that something you're ever going to consider? Or are you hardcore? Like, yo dude, I'm, I'm making stuff and I'll fit brands in where they work, but uh, I want to do this furniture business and you know, what, what's kind of the future of that? Yeah, no. And if you figure out what my future is, please let me know. <laughs> I'm still, I'm still very much trying to figure out exactly how I'm going to make this whole thing work. I never set out to be a content creator. I started putting stuff on Instagram cause I wanted to get sales and then the following happens. And all of a sudden you have this potential and you think, okay, I got to do something with this or it's not going to, I'm not capitalizing on it, right? And so I've tried the YouTube game before. Um, I mean, I've done four YouTube videos at this point. I actually just got the email from YouTube saying, okay, you can monetize now, which was a huge accomplishment for me because I know um, YouTube's not easy and I, I honestly haven't put a lot of stuff out. But I haven't decided if that's, if that's what I want to pursue. Um, I enjoy making YouTube videos. I enjoy that process and editing them together. But what I don't enjoy is staying up until three in the morning doing that because I'm building furniture all day. (laughs) So, um, (laughs) I mean, that's the trade off. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And if I'm gonna, if I'm gonna do content at some point, I'm going to have to make the decision to cut back on custom. And I, I just haven't made that decision yet. So I'm enjoying the custom for now and I'm probably going to do it until I run myself crazy and then maybe I'll make a switch. But for now that's where I'm at. Yeah. And I think it's interesting to see, that transition because I think you hit it right on the head when you said, you know, that first time like a brand wanted to work with you and you're like, absolutely, let's do this. Right. And, and that <laughs> there, there's such like this, this, you know, I call it a sex appeal, if you will, of, 
of like Instagram where or like everybody wants to work with a brand because they see it and they're like, that looks really awesome. And it is, it is amazing. Mm-hmm. Like it, it, it's really validating to know that like these companies want to work with you. I mean, obviously they have their own agendas and they want to get something from you, but at the same time you're like, yes, but then uh, if it's not controlled, if you let it run wild, because there are, there are hundreds of brands out there and there's the big ones that we all know, but then there's all these little, you know, like Amazon direct to sale pop-ups and stuff that you, you know, yeah, you, could, yeah. you could work for those guys all day long uh, that if you don't take control of it, it can. And that's what I'm, I'm starting to see because there's a lot of folks out there in your shoes that are starting to grow an Instagram account. And, you know, maybe they're, they're where you were last year and they're getting, that growth and momentum and and then it's going to start weighing on their business and at some point you have to decide you know what am i am i a, a content producer or am i a custom furniture maker or i'm some hybrid in between and when you live in that hybrid in between you got to be really good at uh at keeping things you know in their yeah. own plane and, and having a good schedule or you'll you'll crush yourself yeah and something so where i'm focusing mainly on right now is trying to find ways to monetize things that I'm actually already doing. And for an example of that is, so most of my stuff I design on SketchUp already. Well, I just figured out if I take my SketchUp model that I already spent the time creating and I send it to somebody who's really good at plans, I can pay them to create plans for that piece for me and stick them on my website. And then I can monetize those plans. And so I just did that with my workbenches that I have in my shop. And so you can get them on my website and that kind of blew my mind because now I have this thing on my website that I'm literally not doing anything except posting it to my website. My website literally sends those plans out for me. And so the amount of time that that takes for me to monetize versus me making a YouTube video for an entire piece is like, you know, way less. I'm already doing that. So monetizing those things that you're already doing is huge. And then my hope is maybe eventually if I monetize enough of that stuff, it'll free me up income wise that maybe I can focus on the content more. We'll see. Yeah. yeah, that's a, I mean, that's like a brilliant point. And that's something that I'm always trying to advocate for any small business owner is to what are you already doing that you are not maximizing your income potential from? Um, and, you know, you can go in the opposite direction there is that courses and teaching woodworking, like, can mm-hmm. you pick, can you pick up an extra, you know, five to 10 grand a year traveling to teach a class, you know, th- don't, don't, don't think you've exhausted all of your options for making money on what you're already doing. If you're growing an influence, um, you know, there's the opportunities are endless. Um, and Gary Vee has talked about that stuff. And so have a ton of, you know, social media marketing, uh, type coaches and and influencers is that, you know, once you build the audience, um, you can monetize to do whatever, uh, Seth Godin's tribes. That's like the whole premise of it is build a core following and you can sell them whatever, um, Mm -hmm. as a business owner. And, And I think that's a brilliant insight. When I saw you launch the, um, plans for your workstation, I thought how smart that was um, just because I've become so accustomed to seeing your work tables in your content that I never thought like, oh, I should ask this guy how to build those. If I, if you know, because how many other people are watching it for the same thing that are like, I'm guessing like, how did he get all them drawer slides to line up? And like, what does he actually have written on though, those tabs on front of it? Like, what a, what a smart way to monetize something you're already doing and just pick up an extra, uh, you know, passive income stream. With your yeah, definitely with with the work you're already putting in, um, you don't have to kill yourself to learning to make plans. Outsource it, um, and it'll pay for itself in the long term. So those types of things are also not short wins, too, right? And you have to look at it in in the big picture of what your brand is and the value you're adding to your community, and not just necessarily 
um, monetizing something that already exists because to pay to have those plans done, you're probably looking at some sort of life, some sort of lifetime to get the return and get back into uh, making money uh, after you spend to have the plan made. Um, but a lot of people are like apprehensive towards doing those types of things. So I'm glad to see someone like yourself, um, you know, jumping into making plans because it took me way longer than that to realize, oh, I should make plans for the stuff I'm doing until you meet Brad and realize we have a plan <laughs> God within the midst of us. But <laughs> yeah, that yeah. smart move, man, really, really smart move. No, it's been good. Awesome, dude. So as you as you think about like where you're at now doing doing these things, like h- how has that changed uh, from now people starting to reach out to you? Because I'm sure they are, right? Reaching out and and wanting to know, like, dude, how'd you grow? And and how mm-hmm. did you? You know, what's what's that been like for you? And and what are those things you get asked the most? Like, is it are they looking for woodworking skills? Or now you are you getting both sides of that now, where they're like, I want to learn how to woodwork, and I also want to learn how to make content, and like, how do you deal with that? Because I think that's another thing that people don't think about is how much time that will take from you. Is like if you oh, if you respond to comments and DMs, what's that been like for you? Yeah, so I definitely get reach outs from both ends of the spectrum. Like, you know, how do you start a woodworking business? How do you do A, B, and C to how do you grow your Instagram? And um, when I was at, I think I was at 60,000, I mean, I had listened to Made for Profit quite a bit. And you guys talked about the Patreon program and how, you know, you could get a review of your page and all that stuff. And I thought, man, I think I would really benefit from sitting down and talking to you guys. So, yeah, I called you guys up and I said, hey, could I just pay for an hour of your time. You guys could go over stuff with me. And that was huge for me. You you showed me a ton of insights that I hadn't thought about before. And you really helped me kind of launch to that next level. And so now where I get to the point, not to sound like conceited or anything, where you start to get kind of inundated with DMs from people asking about, you know, how do you grow this and how do you grow that? I've kind of gone back to that. And I thought, well, hey, if, um, you know, Brad and John can charge for an hour of time. Maybe I can. And so I've actually started responding to a lot of those people like, hey, the most benefit for you is not for me to write a quick, you know, one line DM answer. The biggest benefit to you is to going to be to like sit down on the phone with me and let's go over your Instagram page together. Let's go over your woodworking business together. So I say, hey, I'll do a one hour consultation for 150 bucks. Let's do it. And the amount of people that have said yes to that has been like, oh, dang, I should have done this a long time ago. But it's just another way to monetize, but it's also another way to help grow the community as a whole. I would much rather get on the phone and talk to somebody and really help them than just give them a few words that's really not going to do anything. So that's kind of how I approach it. Sometimes you feel kind of like a jerk because they're just reaching out and you're asking for money, but I really think in the end it's going to benefit them more. Yeah, Yeah. that's an interesting approach because we get it. Uh, I mean, as as you grow, you get more and more. The larger your account, the more... Uh, publicly seen you are, the more you're going to get that outreach. And some of that is, and I'm sure like, you know, that that's not your stock answer. Like if somebody's just asking you a question, right, that that you can easily answer. But it, I, I think you're totally right about it's one thing like to say, to try to DM somebody how to grow their Instagram account, right? That doesn't work. That doesn't no, yeah. like it's, it's just you're not going to be able to communicate. <laughs> Wait, are you sure? I mean, yeah, it's, it's, like, I thought it was that easy. No. Yeah, they, yeah, you just hit it. It's um, it's going through that larger conversation, and that's one of the major things we do. And that you know was absolutely not a plug for. We don't even really advertise that, and we we do it uh, when people come to us. But uh, that is for like our patrons when they come on for like a tier three patron. Uh, we'll go over the review, and that's still even just a, a kind of like a one time. Hey, here's what you see you're doing right. Here's what you're doing not. 
Um, and that's more one way, just us reviewing it, not like a, a sit down call. But mm-hmm. I think that, you know, there's there's different tiers of that. And people are like so thirsty and just don't know how to do it. That That's a huge value to them. Right. Like you said, like, there's a value to to you to sit down with us. And now it's a value for the people you're sitting down with uh, to sit down with them. So I love that idea in the same time that you're offering more value but you got to get something back out of it. And that well, and what I, sure what I tell people all the too. time is don't undervalue the work you've put into gaining the knowledge you have. I mean, I, I know about Instagram because I've worked really hard at Instagram and I've read a lot of articles and researched a lot of stuff and listened to a lot of podcasts. And so that's all time that I've put in. So for somebody else to reach out and say, hey, I just want this information. I mean, there's a value to that. And it's okay to charge people for that information. You shouldn't, you shouldn't feel bad about that. Yeah. No, totally agree. I, I love that. And, you know, it's, I think it goes back to what you're saying, you know, monetizing what you're already doing and monetizing not what you're doing and back to what John just said, monetizing the skills you have. And so like you have all this knowledge, you have all these skills, whoever you are out there. Uh, what are different ways between teaching a class, giving a one hour consultation, making a plan, making a piece of product, uh, joining forces with a brand? Like there are so many different ways to to make money doing this and not all of them, you know, yeah, it might be 20 bucks at a time, might be 30 bucks a time, might be 150 bucks a time, might be $1,000 at a time. But when at the end of the day or at the end of the year, at the end of the month, you dump all those buckets into the larger bucket. Mm-hmm. It's always like to tell people like being in business for yourself, you got to have a lot of buckets and a lot of revenue streams. So A, you're diversified and B, that it can actually add up to something that can you know, give you something that it can support your family. Yeah, definitely. Crushed it. I mean, that's awesome. I'm, I'm sweating over here. That was so good. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, well, dude. Well, hit, uh, we're going to go ahead and start going to the wrap up here. But one question we always do ask, Jason, is what advice do you have for you've given some great nuggets? But uh, if there's a, a piece of advice that you would give somebody just getting started, either in you know the woodworking side or the content side or something you wished you knew, what would it be? Yeah, I think the number one piece of advice I could give is no matter where you are, no matter what your skill level is and woodworking or whatever you have to offer, it's that you do have something to offer. I feel like people have this idea that, you know, I can't really create a good, you know, successful Instagram page or content page until I'm an expert in my field. But that's just that's not true, because just as many people are on Instagram that really want to learn how to do something, there's experts on Instagram that really just like commenting and helping other people figure out what they're doing. And I don't know if this is out there, but I always thought it'd be awesome if somebody started an Instagram page and was like, I know nothing about woodworking, but follow me along on my journey and help me just stumble through this. And, you know, if you see mistakes, let me know. Because I feel like people are inherently like defensive about like, oh, no, I am doing this right. Don't tell me what to do. But if you could just be humble about where you're at and who you are and just throw it out there and accept, you know, criticism and help from whoever gives it. That's huge. And people are going to enjoy seeing that. So don't think that just because you're not an expert at something doesn't mean you you can't have a, a good following and successful page because I, I think you can. Yeah, that's a great piece of advice. And definitely like, you know, we, we get a lot of, uh, like I said before, apprehension to like jumping into something. And just because you're not an expert doesn't mean people don't want to watch your journey and watch you, you know, come into becoming an expert uh, and bringing them along for the ride. So that, that's a great tip. I mean, this is this has been an, an awesome show. I mean, I'm it, I'm sitting here like thinking about the moments that I went through exactly what you've gone through and like mm. knowing that you know, we were chatting at WorkbenchCon about how it's a little bit different selling a ton of custom furniture 
and producing Instagram content, for instance. And uh, it's just so cool to see how far you've come, dude, uh, seeing your your journey and the constant, uh, you know, work that you're putting into not only making great furniture, but growing your social media following. Um, congrats on all your success. And I'm looking forward to seeing you quadruple by next year, by the way. That's, <laughs> I'm going to pass Brad here any day. That's the bar we're holding you to. I would, I would love it. I would love it, man. I'd, I love uh, seeing the journey, dude. And, and, and yeah, absolutely. It was great to meet you in person finally. And, uh, you know, get to just stroke that magnificent beard of yours because, uh, yeah, it, yeah, it did have a little bit of maple syrup. I, I did feel that, you know, I was like, oh, well, that was I mean, just from the breakfast in the hotel. That, okay. but, that's what I figured. Yeah. <laughs> awesome, buddy. Always great talking to you guys or you. You feel like multiple people, but uh, always good to talk <laughs> to you. And uh, we got some great nuggets from the show. I'm sure the audience loved it. So thanks a lot for coming on, bud. Yeah, man, I appreciate it. Now I probably should get back to work. All right, All right man. See ya. <laughs> Dude, <laughs> driving like four hours to the Grizzly headquarters, that is completely savage. <laughs> yes, I love that. <laughs> and, uh, dude, I just realized after we got off the call with Jason, we forgot to talk about his new podcast. They have a podcast that just came out. It's called Craft Will Never Die. Uh, head over and give that a listen to hear him, Blake Weber, and Nick Key discuss what's going on in their shops and navigating the waters of makers and content creators. We'll also have a link to that in the show notes. Yeah, that's super exciting. So pumped to hear those guys launching their own podcast. Looking forward to that. Um, and you, like Jason's whole story on this episode just really got me inspired. I, I can definitely relate to a lot of the things that he's gone through um, as a custom furniture maker. It was just such a cool episode, I thought, to see um, someone that, you know, we've been watching grow. You know, I remember one day you you messaged me and was like, dude, have you checked out this bourbon moth, dude? Like his, <laughs> his stuff's exploding. So really cool. Awesome to have Jason on the show. Um, and let us know your thoughts, guys. We we love hearing um, everyone's, you know, reactions to these types of episodes. Um, Jason's in the trenches with a lot of you custom furniture makers and a lot of people that are growing. I don't think anyone actually realizes that he's, you know, just another dude that happened to blow up on Instagram um, and yeah. is really taking advantage of it. So if you guys want to see some more interviews like this that aren't specifically geared towards the main staple content creators, but someone that's floating in between both uh, let us know over on the uh, the Facebook group at uh, facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash made for profit tribe. Drop us a note over there. Let us know who you'd like to hear next. That's kind of similar to Jason. Absolutely. And if you do want to hear more about Jason and get that link to his podcast, you can head over to madeforprofit.com forward slash episode 90. We'll have links to all of Jason's uh, social media and website and all that good stuff. So go check that out. Uh, and also, I'll mention again, if you have not had a chance to give us a review over on iTunes, uh, we would appreciate that. So head over and do that. But right now, we're going to go to our after show and go hang out with our patrons. All right, man, let's go hit it. Let's do it. <laughs> 